Wow. Great job, y'all. That was spectacular. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to start my message a little bit differently than I do normally. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. And I'd like to share with you today about knowing without a doubt. Knowing without a doubt. One of the Baptist perspectives is that we can know without a doubt. In 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, the Word of God says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born, say born, born. is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who also begot him, also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know, say no. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes, say believes, he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now I want you to scoot on down to verse 11. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, say no, no. that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that we can know that we have eternal life. I thank you that we can know that Jesus is the Son of God. I thank you that we can know that he died on the cross for our sins. And I thank you that we can know that we can be in heaven with you eternally. All because of what the Holy Spirit, through your word, says to us this morning. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Today I want to share with you on one basic thing that every Christian ought to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. We need to know that God has supplied us with the means to be saved. And what does it mean to be saved? This, on the screen is going to show you. What does it mean to be saved? Well, first of all, it means that every single one of your sins is forgiven and buried in the grave of God's forgetfulness. Number two, it means, being saved means that Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit of God, comes to live in you and to give you Peace, power, and purpose in your life. That's what being saved means. Being saved further means that when we die or when Jesus comes again, whichever comes first, we're going home to heaven and we're going to live with God forever. That, my friends, is what it means to be saved. Every one of us here today needs the absolute assurance that you're saved. And if you don't know that today, I pray that by the end of this service, you're going to make it a reality and you're going to know, say no. You're going to know that you're going to heaven. You see, it's much better to be a shouting Christian like Brother Bill than to be a doubting Christian. Amen? Much better to be shouting. We shouldn't be saying, I hope I'm saved. We shouldn't be saying, I think I'm saved. We should be saying, praise God, hallelujah, I know, say no. I know I'm saved. 
We need to know that. So how do we get to this point where we know we're saved? Well, I read about one pastor who was visiting this woman who was dying in the hospital. He asked her if she knew that she was saved. And she said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I don't know. And so he asked her, would you like to be saved? And she said, indeed I would like to know. And so the pastor explained from God's word how she could be saved and he led her in a prayer that asked Jesus to forgive her of her sins, to come into her heart and to save her everlasting soul. And she did. How wonderful this pastor thought. Here was this precious lady who would soon be in the very presence of God and now she has the blessed assurance that she is saved. And the pastor turned to her family and said, isn't it wonderful that she's been saved and she's going to heaven? And the son-in-law looked at her and said, hey, nobody can know that they're saved. And the preacher opened his Bible to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, and he read to that son-in-law and said, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And he asked that man, he said, look in this Bible, do you see that word know? Yes, that word know there in verse 13. Of course we can know that we have eternal life. Friends, it is of vital importance that we are absolutely assured that we're saved. Why is it so important, Brother Bill? Because we're talking about the eternal destiny of your ever-living, never-dying human soul. You need to know this morning. You need to be assured that you're saved. Friends, to be victorious in this Christian life that we're living, we need to be able to say, I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I know that I'm heaven-born, and I know I'm heaven-bound. I know I'm saved. But is it possible to be saved and still have doubts about it? Well, I think if it weren't possible to have doubts about it, then the Bible wouldn't have verse 13 in it where it said, These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Friends, I think that verse 13 tells us that it is possible to be saved because John was writing to a church. He was writing to saved people. And sometimes saved people have doubts because they don't fully understand the Word of God. Evidently, some of these folks that John was writing to had some serious doubts. They weren't completely assured that they were saved. But just because you have doubts does not mean you're not saved. As a matter of fact, I think that we tend to doubt things that we really believe. Right? Sometimes we tend to doubt those things that we really believe. You see... Doubt is to your spirit what pain is to your body. Everybody get that? Doubt is to your spirit what pain is to your body. Pain does not mean that your body is dead, right? It hurts. It hinders. But that does not mean that your body is dead. Pain means that there is life. It's just that something's wrong. Something's not quite right. So doubt is definitely possible, even though doubt definitely is not profitable, it is possible. You see, you'll never meet a Christian who is truly effective in his or her service to the Lord that doesn't have the full assurance 
then he or she is saved. Read of one lady who told an evangelist, I've been saved for 25 years and I ain't never had a doubt. And that evangelist looked at her and said, well, in that case, I doubt that you've been saved. <laughs> at one point or another, we all have doubts, don't we? We all have doubts, that's right. See, Christians do, and, and they can have doubts uh, and still be saved. But if you're trying to live the Christian life, and your Christian life is filled with all these doubts, it's kind of like you're driving your car with the brakes on. Everybody ever done that? I drove for about 20 miles wondering what in the world was wrong with my car before I realized that my emergency brake was about three-quarters of the way up. Man, I ain't no telling what kind of gas mileage I was getting, amen? I wasn't getting bad, good gas mileage. I mean, the car was sluggish. She was slow. She wasn't working good. She just wasn't working on all cylinders, so to speak. So that's the way that we are when we have doubts. We're kind of like driving a car with the brakes on. We don't need a hope-so, think-so, maybe-so salvation. No, we need a no-so salvation. And that's why John wrote this letter. John wrote this letter so that we might know that we have eternal life. So important. So let me give you uh, just a couple things, just two points today. Can you believe that? A Baptist preacher with only two points? That don't even sound right, does it? Anyway, uh, let's find out how we might know that we have eternal life. First of all, assurance of your salvation begins with new birth. You said that. Notice in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, the word says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Didn't say might be born, didn't say could be born, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, he, it, you are born of God. It's so important that we know that. Being born spiritually is a lot like being born physically. Let me tell you why. Can everybody here relate to being born? Anybody here been, bo been born before? Y'all better raise your hands. Come on. I don't know how you got here if you wasn't born. Amen. Me and, Sean, me and Amber are the only way, the ones that have been born. Hey, Reed's been born, hallelujah. That's three of us anyway. So we can all relate to being born. Well, being born spiritually is a lot like being born physically. If you look at physical birth, you also see a real pretty picture, a great example of salvation. Now, you don't have to go there if you don't want to, but in John chapter 3, verse 1, Jesus shared with a man about this analogy uh, about spiritual birth as compared to physical birth. In verse 1, the word says that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Did you get that? That which is born of flesh, physical birth, is a physical, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's a spiritual birth. So Nicodemus comes to the Lord Jesus at night, wanting to know more about all these miracles that Jesus has been doing. But Jesus told him that in order for him to really understand the depth 
of those miracles, he himself, Nicodemus himself, needed to become a miracle. Nicodemus needed to be born again for him to understand what Jesus was doing. And so Jesus points out to him just a few things about new birth. Things that we need to understand in order for us to cast out doubts about our salvation. First of all, let me give you about four of them. In a birth, physical and spiritual, a conception takes place. Something someone is conceived. If you'll notice there in verse 5 of John chapter 3, Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Water speaks of the word. Okay? Water speaks of the word of God, and the Spirit means the Spirit of God. Therefore, the Spirit of God and the Word of God have got to come together with a little seed of faith from you, amen, a little seed of faith, and a wonderful new life is conceived. The Word and the Spirit with a seed of faith from you and a new life is conceived. But i got to point this out. It will not happen without your permission. God is a gentleman. He will not intrude upon your life. He will not come into your life without your permission. You must make the choice. You must provide that seed of faith. So in a birth, a conception takes place. But also, in a birth, a continuation is involved. Notice in verse 6, Jesus said, That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Verse 6 tells us there that the physical life brings physical life. The spiritual life brings spiritual life. As a parent, as a parent, you are not in charge of actually manufacturing your baby. Amen? You're not in charge of actual, the actual work of manufacturing babies. You may pass on the life that's been given you, but you're not in charge of actually manufacturing that work. God is. Likewise, in the new birth, by being born again, the life of God is also transferred to you and I. The term being born again literally means being born from above. The new birth happens from above. It doesn't happen down here. It happens from God. So by continually growing, continually building on the foundation that's been laid in you, we are becoming more like Jesus Christ through the power of his spirit. It's of him, not of us. We just have to be obedient. So a continuation is involved. We've got to keep on keeping on, amen? Not only a conception, not only a continuation, but thirdly, also a character is produced. As humans, we receive the makeup, basically, from our human parents. Some from the father, some from the mother. But when the Spirit of God comes together with the Word of God, with a seed of faith, then a new being and a new character is created. A brand new life, born from above, has been created. And that new being takes on the characteristics of God. So, a character is produced. How many of you know that Christians are not just nice people, they're brand new creatures? Amen? They're not just nice folks, they're brand new creatures. It's been said that we're not like a tadpole that turns into a frog, we're like a frog who's been kissed or who's been turned into a prince by the kiss of grace. I like that. I like that. I'm glad to know that you're not just a tadpole, amen? Yeah. Hallelujah. 
So in order to cast out doubts about our salvation, you need to realize that in the spiritual birth, just like in the physical birth, a conception takes place, a continuation is certainly involved, also a character is produced. But the most important thing I want to mention to you this morning is that in a birth, a completion occurs. A completion occurs. A birth is a once-for-all experience, both for the physical and the spiritual. When a baby is born on earth, a record is deposited called a a birth certificate. That's right. In heaven, when somebody comes to Jesus Christ, a new birth name is written down in glory. Kind of like your spiritual birth certificate. It's so important that you understand this morning that no one can be unborn. Did everybody get that? No one can be unborn. Just like a baby cannot be unborn, a baby, a man, a human, a woman may die, but he cannot, he, she cannot be unborn. The same thing in the spiritual. Once you are born, you can't be unborn, right? So once you're born again, you can't be unborn again. So even when a physical body ceases to exist, the spirit of that individual goes on somewhere through all eternity. You and I can begin to cast out doubts when we realize that being saved is like being born. We can begin to cast out doubts when we realize that being born again is just like being born physically. When we truly experience the new birth, when we're really born again, it can't never be taken away. You can't be unborn. So assurance begins with new birth. If that part ain't right, the rest ain't going to be right. Amen? If you don't get born again, then you can't be saved. So that's the first thing that we can use, or first thing we can realize, to realize that assurance begins with new birth. But secondly, assurance continues with new belief. Now, I've read this scripture in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, twice already. I'm going to read it a third time now. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, when you were born on earth, you didn't have much choice about it, did you? Amen? Did anybody here have a choice about whether you were born or not? All right. That was up to mom and dad, and maybe they didn't even realize it, right? I've heard some people say, man, it was in the drinking water. I didn't do it. Uh, Anyway, so we don't have any choice about the first birth. But get this, we do have a choice about the second birth. We do have a choice about being born again. I mentioned before that we are the ones that are responsible for providing the seed of faith. The seed of faith. The word says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That new birth takes place when we trust Christ when we believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is Lord and the Messiah. There's a crystal clear passage that goes hand in hand with this one, I think, that relates to this uh, idea of eternal security, this idea of being assured and being able to cast out your doubts. And this is found in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. And I want to share it with you. For Paul says to this Ephesian church, writing to Christians, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, 
not of works, lest anyone should boast. Not of works, not of yourselves. That passage is great because that verse tells us, God's telling us in that verse what saves us and what don't save us. Tells us what saves us and what does not save us. So let's first look at what does not save us. Self and works do not save us. Did you see that at the end of verse 8? For by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves, and verse 9, not of works. Not of yourselves and not of works. That seems simple enough. Even my hard head can get that. How about you? Y'all get that? Not of yourselves and not of works. But it's right here where so many people begin to lose their understanding of salvation. It's right here where people don't get it sometimes. They lose their idea of what it takes to be saved. In fact, if you ask the average man on the street, hey, bud, you going to heaven? He'll likely say, sure, I'm going to heaven. And if you ask him why, he'll say, well, I'm doing the best I can. Now, there's a, there's a big problem with that answer. Think about that answer. Because I'm doing the best I can. Because I, self, am doing works the best that I, self, can. But the Bible said it's not of yourselves. And it's not of your works. So it doesn't have a whole lot to do with who you are or what you're doing. It's not because you're doing the best you can. So many people think that God is like Santa Claus. They think he's making a list and he's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. That's right. But they think one day they're going to stand before God up in the judgment throne room and he's going to check all the good things they've done. He's going to check all the bad things they've done and that's going to determine how you go to heaven or not. That's what some people think. A lot of people believe that way. And as a result, people think that they can mistakenly behave themselves into heaven. You can't behave yourself into heaven. You'll never, ever be good enough of yourself and of your works to earn a place in heaven. Amen. It's not of you. It's of the Lord. Look at that verse carefully. It's not of yourselves and it's not of works. But you know, the devil doesn't give up that easy, does he? He likes us to keep in that mindset that it is of me and it is of my works. He encourages other people to believe something like this. You know, I know I can't work my way to heaven, but work will help. Some people think that. They think that it's the grace of God plus what I do. They think it's the grace of God plus the works that I do. If I do my part, then God will do his part. That's what some people think, mistakenly. But I got one word for them. Wrong. It's not of yourselves and it's not of works. It's saved by grace, by faith, and Jesus Christ. I read an illustration, kind of cute, and it's an illustration that's used by people who believe in this works plus grace thing. Okay, here's how it goes. They say, if you're rowing across the stream in a rowboat and you only pulled on one of the oars and you call that oar works, what would happen? You go around in circles, okay? But if you pull on the other oar, and we'll call that one faith, okay, you pull that one and you keep going, what's going to happen? You're going to go around in circles the other way, right? 
And with a wise look, people that think this way will say, it takes both oars. Ah, it takes both oars. It takes faith and works to get you across the stream. Well, that sounds pretty good, don't it? Does that sound pretty good? Huh? It does, don't it? There's only one big problem. You ain't going to heaven in a rowboat. You're going to heaven by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Period. We're not going to heaven by works. We're going to heaven by the grace of God. And friends, it's not of yourselves and it's not of works. Period. And if you don't understand that, then you'll never have the assurance of salvation. You know why? Because your life is going to be filled with doubts. If even one part depends on you, if even one smidgen depends on you, you'll never have assurance. If, if even one little small part depends on your works, you'll never know if you've done enough. It's not of yourselves, and it's not of works. So now that we know what does not save us, ourselves and works, let's look at what does save us. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace, say by grace. By grace you have been saved through faith. Friends, how are you saved? God's grace through faith. But what in the world is grace? Now you've heard all kinds of uh, an analogies and acrostics, but grace is basically the characteristic of God that makes him love sinners like me and you. Amen? That's what it is in a nutshell. It's the characteristic that only God has that makes him love sinners like us. God doesn't love you because you're valuable. You're valuable because God loves you. It's important that you know that grace is God's love that you don't deserve even in the slightest. We don't deserve it. It's his unearned favor. It's his unearned love to show sinners that he loves them even though they deserve to be judged. Even though they deserve, as I was talking about to, the, or to our BBS kids, they deserve an eternal time out. Amen? But we don't want an eternal time out, do we? We want to be eternal eternity with God. So when you think of grace, I want you to think of Jesus Christ dying in agony, his blood spattered across the cross for you, an undeserving sinner. Friends, we don't have anything that would profit God. We don't have anything that would profit God. We are sinners by birth. We're sinners by choice. We're sinners by practice. But God loves us in spite of our sin, and that love is called grace, God's grace. So what about faith? What is faith? Well, faith is for, forsaking any dependence on me. It's forsaking any dependence on my good intentions, my good deeds, my own self-worth. Faith is me turning my back on my sin and trusting in Jesus and him alone. Period. Not of myself and not of works. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And it's not just mental. Even the demons believe and tremble, right? It's not just mental. Faith is far more than just belief. It's also commitment. It's also committing one's life. It's grabbing a hold of God's grace with all your strength and committing the rest of your life to him. I want you to think of God's grace like this. Think of God's grace as God's hand of love reaching down from heaven toward you saying, I love you. I want you. I want to save you. And faith 
being your filthy, sin-stained hand, reaching up to God's hand of grace that's reaching down, saying, I love you, God. I need you, God. I can't do it without you, God. I want you to save me, God. And when you put your hand of faith in God's hand of grace, then, my friend, you're saved. That's when you're saved. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, and not of works. It is a gift of God. we got to remember, we can't take any praise for it. We can't take any credit for it. None whatsoever. It's all a work of God's grace. You know, if we started taking credit for it, that'd be a disgrace to God's grace. Amen? I tell you what, it's a gift, and you and I can't boast about it. You know, there will not be any peacocks strutting around in heaven. No one deserves to be there. When we get to heaven, God's going to get all the praise. He's going to get all the worship. He's going to get all the glory. Why? Because of his marvelous, matchless, wonderful grace. All because of him. So have you ever had that experience where your sin-stained, filthy hand has reached up and grabbed hold of God's hand of grace that's reaching down to you, telling you that he loves you and that he wants you and he wants to save you? You ever had that experience? Have you ever completely placed all of your faith in the grace of God to save you? Have you ever staked your eternal soul, staked your eternal soul in the finished work of Jesus Christ on that old rugged cross that, that Kathy and Hal sang about? You ever staked your soul on that? If you haven't, Listen carefully. If you're listening, say amen. If you have never made that decision today, that's why God brought you here today. He wanted you to hear the truth. And he wanted you to know that he offers his grace to you, that he offers his love to you, and that more than anything on earth, he wants you with him for all eternity. You know, anytime we have a death in our church family, kind of make, remind, reminds me of my own mortality. And with Brother Austin's passing, I'm reminded that I'm so thankful for God's grace. I'm so thankful that I reached up and grabbed hold of it by faith, knowing that that's all that was necessary. It was just to grab hold of God's hand of grace. Have you been overwhelmed with doubts? Man, I just don't know about all this stuff, Brother Bill. You've been driving the car with the brakes on? Been there, I've done that. Well, I want you to know that today is the day that you can cast out all those doubts. If you know that you know, maybe today is the day for recommitment for you. You need to know what you believe and believe what you know. Maybe you need to reaffirm your commitment to Christ today. But whatever the Lord is calling you to do, whatever decision he's calling you to make, all he asks is that you be obedient. New birth and a new belief. Not of yourselves, not of works. It's a gift of God. And he gave it all wrapped up in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And you need to make it personal. He did it for you. Say he did it for me. 
Say it louder. He did it for you. Let us pray. Father, the only thing I know to say this morning is thank you for your incredible matchless grace. Thank you for a love for me that loved me even when my life was sin-stained, when I could do nothing right, when my works were of no use. You sent your son, Jesus. Sent your grace to me, for me, because you loved me. Father, help everyone here to realize this morning that their doubts can be cast out. That assurance and eternal security can be theirs because we can know, we can know that we are saved to eternal life by placing our faith and our belief in Jesus Christ. So Lord, whatever the decision is that needs to be made this morning, Lord, I pray that you would provide that person with the courage, the strength, and the desire to take that step of faith and reach their hand out to your grace and your love. For your glory alone, and in that name above all names, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus is his name. It's him who we pray it in. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.